Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and this is where we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics, and we'll do it from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, we're presenting another bonus Finding the Halo episode, partly dealing with coronavirus, partly dealing with the broader issues regarding vaccines. And normally, we're heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode will be played on various podcast apps, and as always, at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. In this episode, we want to celebrate a few vaccine development wins for the pro-life movement and unborn babies. Today, our guest is Debbie Vinage. Uh, she's the executive director of Children of God for Life, a nonprofit organization she founded in 1999. Uh, the goal is to end the use of aborted fetal cell materials in, uh, in making vaccines or medicines. Uh, she's appeared on local and national television programs, and in 2014, she received the Evangelium Vitae Award from the Catholic Medical Association. Debbie, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the program. Oh, Debbie, maybe to begin, if you wouldn't mind helping our listeners understand a little bit about your organization. That's such a great name, Children of God for Life. Um, if those who may not be familiar would probably love to hear a little bit about your background and the organization. Well, you know, I began the organization in 1999. <laughs> I was very pro-life and, you know, involved in people go out and we do our sidewalk counseling and we do all types types of things with the diocese and respect life committees and I had read an article about embryonic stem cells and I thought what what in the world what what is this I'd never even heard of a stem cell so um, I the article was quoting Richard Dorflinger I think you probably know who he is he had um, with the US Conference of Bishops pro-life office for many years and I contacted him and he he started helping me to understand this and I wanted to help him get the information out because when I went to our own respect life committees they didn't they didn't know what I was talking about so that's where I began my work was thinking you know this is what we need to do and they were trying to do federal funding um, under the Clinton administration they wanted to uh, for embryonic stem cells and we wanted to stop it so that's sort of how I began this whole thing so, um, uh, Debbie do you have any kind of medical background and if not what is it that led you to this great interest you know, that's, that's such a profound question, Tom. I don't, um, other than what I have been taught by great doctors, great scientists. Um, it was an it's independent study. But I have never, um, you know, had anything. And in fact, I can tell you, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip forward a little bit to tell you, but when, when we went through this whole thing with the stem cells, and, and I was so excited because, like I said, I had a bench researcher from the National Institutes of Health teaching me about stem cell research. So it was really good. I learned all wow. about human cloning and all the different ways you could do mm. things. Um, and then I found out about this article it was in G February of um, 2000. I read this article about vaccines that were made using aborted fetal cells and how that was going to be okay. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, I'm working with all these same people that are saying, no, this is wrong for stem cells. Then how can embryos, you know, then how could it be okay for fetal um, you know, cell lines. And so uh, I just thought I, you know, somebody needed to take this on. I couldn't do it because, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, I can't do it. I have no qualifications. Now, I was a sacristan at our church at the time. And so I was there every day setting up the mass. And afterward, I would go and spend a lot of time in prayer. And I couldn't focus on anything. I can tell you that the Lord was putting this into my heart to do something. And I did not want to do it. I, I mean, I'm the first person that'll tell you I will open my heart to the Lord. But I kept saying and crying to him and saying, Lord, 
I can't do this. It was, in fact, it was the Feast of the Annunciation. I was kneeling down in the church after Mass, and I, I actually was crying because I hadn't had any sleep. I knew that I needed to do this, and I didn't want to. So I'm, I'm laying out every excuse in the world why the Lord should choose someone else. And choose someone who's got connections in Washington. Choose someone who's politically connected. Choose anybody but me. This is way too big for me, is what it I sounds, said. It sounds like he rightly chose a church lady on fire. <laughs> he did. He did. And and you know what happened? As I'm crying and saying all this, it was honestly, it was almost like the words, like the Lord was there in front of me and he said, I heard this in my heart as loud as you and I are speaking. It's not too big for me. And I Ooh. knew he was right. And I knew he'd won. And I thought, okay, with God, all things are possible. Here we go. <laughs> Better get out of the way. Yep. So well, you, Debbie, you, let's let's give our listeners a little uh, background before we get into some of the, the details of the vaccines. Um, if you could speak to the mother of a newborn this morning who's getting ready to start taking her newborn through all of the childhood vaccination series, uh, and she's asking questions, wondering which is which and how they work, which of the, of the traditional vaccines uh, pose the ethical challenge with respect to being from aborted cell lines? Ah, well, there's a number of vaccines that are out there, but what you just asked is really good news. There was a time when I would have said to that mother, when you go in, they're going to offer you a vaccine called Penticel, and that combines DTaP plus polio and Hib. Now, you don't have to get that vaccine. You can get those separately, but don't use that one because it uses aborted fetal cells. So up until a few, well, like a week ago, <laughs> I would have been giving that advice to the mom, and I would have said you won't have to worry again until the baby's about 12 months, then they're going to look at MMR and chickenpox, um, maybe hepatitis A in some um, states, but not all of them do require that one. So if it was on, you know, looking at the CDC schedule. Um, so anyway, I don't know if you want me to go into that just right well, this yeah, second or not. That's the big win. I mean, it is. Yeah, that's it. the exciting thing, first time in 20 years you've had what happen. It's unprecedented, I'm telling you. <laughs> I never expected this to happen. I actually had someone contact me and say, you know, there's something wrong. Your your um, information shows that Penticel and Quadracel are using aborted fetal cell lines, but I'm looking at the vaccine, the excipient list. Now, the Center for Disease Control puts out a list, and a lot of, you know, parents who are, you know, well-intentioned, they know this list, they want to see it, they want to make sure what are their, what's the ingredients are in the vaccines their children are receiving, and they weren't there. They, she said, it doesn't say that. It doesn't, it says Vero. I said, that's impossible. You know, it's impossible. I mean, they don't. And Vero they, is a, a monkey kidney cell. That's correct. So, I went in on the package insert, and lo and behold, over in the corner, it says, it's got an update date of December 2019, and I clicked on it, and it's a letter from the FDA to um, Sanofi Pasteur in which they told them that we are, you know, agreeing with you. You can update your package insert to show Vero cell lines, and the MRC5 is no longer used. So what happened is… And the MRC5 was a fetal cell line from an aborted baby. That's correct. It comes from the lung tissue of a 14-week gestation male baby, and it's used in a number of vaccines. And so it, MRC5, you know, we, it, it's, it's there. I mean, it was always in the package insert. Everything was fine. So when you go in and you look, realize, I kept reading and, and I wanted more information and found that not only did um, Sanofi Pasteur change to using Vero cell lines, they also discontinued um, a single dose vaccine called poliovax and polio 
it's the strangest thing. Sanofi Pasteur has always had a moral version of polio and one that uses aborted fetal. So one was using viral cells, one was using aborted fetal. And they have had these for years. And in their, in their uh, multivalent vaccines like Pentacel and Quadracel, same thing. They were using the aborted fetal cell lines. So we would tell you know, parents to use GlaxoSmithKline's version because you know, they could do that morally if they wanted to do a combo vaccine. So what they have done, they discontinued poliovax entirely. So once they, they got rid of that, it was the vaccine using the aborted fetal cells. It was poliovax that was in quadracel and in pentacel. So it was very pretty simple for them to do what they did. So they did this months ago, but we just learned about it. That's correct. So they, they didn't did even announce it. No. And I'm, I cannot, but I think there may be a reasoning for that too, Tom, is that you know, the shelf life on these vaccines is about 18 months. Oh. So, yeah. So if you had people that were buying their vaccine back in November, December timeframe, probably I would assume they do not want to get blitzed right away for requests for the, you know, new, new vaccine. So Debbie, let's be clear for our listeners. I, I get lost in the jargon and I'm sure a lot of people do. Which vaccine are we talking about that is now good, the name of it, and for which disease is that vaccine offered? Okay. So- there's more than one that's good. We're going to start with Pentacel. Pentacel is five in one, uh, five different antigens in one vaccine. Pentacel combines diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. That's known as the DTaP vaccine, and also polio, and also Hib vaccine. So there's five five different shots basically that you get in. And our only five one of those until recently was problematic. The other four that's have right. been fine. That's absolutely right, Tom. The polio portion is what was, um, you know, causing the moral issue. And the same thing with quadracel. Quadracel has, is also diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, and polio, but no hips. So there's four in that one. Um, you know, penta, five, quadra, four. So they, um, the, they, but they, what they did is they, so they had those two vaccines, plus they had what's called poliovax using the aborted fetal MRC5, that's a single dose, just a separate dose. That, and would be, that would be for the child getting polio as a single vaccination, uh, which I don't think occurs nearly as often. Most, most peds providers in public health clinics use the combination just out of efficiency, that, but it was correct. there. Yep, that's correct. And so they, but they also had IPOL, I-P-O-L. So that was another thing. So they, they actually, I've never seen this in any vaccine manufacturer before where they actually have two versions. So we've got the one using aborted fetal and we've got the ones that don't. They didn't in their combination vaccines. That's what's so significant now. Um, the reason is that Penticel was recommended by the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices, the ACIP. They are the ones that's a division of the Centers for Disease Control. They um, make recommendations as to what should be on the schedule. So Penticel was the vaccine of choice for many mm. years, um, since like 2007 or eight is when it when it happened. Um, and there was an interesting thing that how that happened in in Canada, they had no access to what's called any anything except for Penticel. So parents were actually coming into the United States to get their children vaccinated for polio because we had a moral version here. They didn't in Canada. And so Canadian Physicians for Life petitioned Health Canada to get what's called a vaccine called PDSL, 
PDSL is a combination vaccine also made by Sanofi Pasteur that was only available overseas in Europe. It's not available in the United States, but they got access to it and licensing to it. So all the physicians stopped buying Pentacel and went with PDSL. At the same time, Sanofi Pasteur, after a few months, said, oh, let's get it licensed in the U.S. then. This will be the recommended vaccine for the U.S. So they were having a way to, guess, I guess, get more sales, you know, because sure. Canada, they lost Canada market. Do you have any sense of how often poliovax, the moral polio uh, vaccine option, was used compared to, say, you know, the more favorable Pentacel? No, no, it wouldn't no. have been. No, it, w it would have been Pentacel that would have been used. Okay. A poliovax would be an unusual thing. If you were contraindicated to maybe something in DTAP, maybe you couldn't, you know, get that vaccine, um, then they might do it that way. Mm, sure. So, so how often was Pentacel used? It was the vaccine of choice. So it was millions of times a year. Yep, absolutely. So this is a big, big deal. It is a big deal. It is, Tom. I've never, like I said, I've never seen anything like this before. And we're just overjoyed. And you think it was all driven by economics or do you think there were other aspects to it? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. There's been some changes and we're seeing in, the, in um, some of the manufacturers out there, they're starting to listen. You know, we've had some really good action that's gone out by our bishops um, and we'll probably get into talking to Alyssa about this a little bit more, but um, our bishops have, we, we did a program last year. I can give you a good example. Um, the U.S. Conference of Bishops under the direction of Archbishop Nauman and the pro-life office, um, Greg Schleppenbach, um, and a number, a number of organizations, including Children of God for Life, the National Catholic Bioethics Center, Catholic Medical Association, we all sent a joint letter to the FDA in uh, July of last year asking them for access to the moral versions of measles, mumps, and rubella from yes. Japan. Yep. Yes. So that was a big deal, right? And in, by November, they still hadn't responded. And so I escalated it personally to the Department of Health and Human Services, to the Office of Civil Rights. They did respond. And so Greg and I were huh. excited. We were just starting to work with them. They wanted more information on the Japanese vaccines. So this is like, you know, that now it's like January, February, March timeframe and COVID hit. And so once the COVID hit, we just, it, everything came to a grinding halt because you know they're not going to look at importing anything right now. So we'll uh, wait. But, but that was moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Because that's probably the most common vaccine remaining for which there's no moral option in the United States. Because I don't know how many people are using chickenpox vaccine. There might be a lot. That would be a close second. And then the hepatitis A would be third. So I think to Chris's previous question, those are the three right now that there is no moral option in the U.S. Correct. That's correct. The good news is there's that there's um, moral options for everything except chickenpox somewhere mm. in the world. So we have, we do have some options and we think we could probably get one for chicken pox as well. But, you know, in all fairness, again, to the busy mom, uh, she's in her primary care office um, and she's going to say, I want the good one. And or she's probably going to be confronted with a little bit of eye rolling <laughs> depending on whether or not her primary care provider is Catholic. And, and of course, that's no guarantee. Um, so we really need to do our best to arm her with the, the right vocabulary to look at the label of, of the vial uh, and do her due diligence, although it can be challenging just because it's available to some, it may not practically be available to all, and that would be frustrating as well. 
That's true. Um, one of the things that our Catholic doctors, you know, they're part of health care plans, like some of them are part of a, a bigger conglomerate of organization, and they can't, they don't, they don't have the buying power to do anything. They have to go with whatever, you know, the status quo. Sure. But for the doctors that were operating independently, we had really, really great support from the Catholic Medical Association on this one. We really did. Um, we set up a pro-life network across the country, and doctors are willing to work with their parents. So that was great. And Catholic Medical Association has been just the, the best supporter I could have ever imagined um, to get, and it from the very beginning. Yeah, we feel the same way here on Dr. Uh. Doctor. <laughs> not that we're not biased. Right, that's right. So, so this is, is good news. So I, I appreciate Chris asking about, yeah, the mom in the office, what can she do? So now if we, she hears the word penticell or quadricell, the green light should go on. <laughs> yes, that's right. It, it was yellow before, but now it's green. <laughs> Well, and speak to that. I mean, it's pretty interesting. In a number of shows that we've done where we've talked about vaccines over the last two and a half years, we talked about this letter from the the Vatican that initially went through the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And lo and behold, I, I reviewed the copy of the letter last night, and it's like, you're the one who started that whole ball rolling. Tell us about that. Oh, my. Yes, I did. Um, you know, here's what happened. We had parents that were um, going to their local uh, public schools, and they were saying they wanted a religious exemption. By state law, they were allowed to have a religious exemption. Now, unfortunately, there had been a statement that came out from some bioethicists that said, there's no reason why parents can't use this vaccine. It's perfectly okay. There, you know, There's nothing wrong with it. And yet, so what was happening is Catholics were being targeted, and they said, look, it says that you can use this vaccine, so there's nothing wrong. So we went to, I, I said, this has got to be escalated further, and with the help of a dear bishop who you will know very well, Bishop Robert Basha. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was who, our, our most recent Episcopal advisor before Bishop Conley. That's correct. Good man. Good man. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, I, there's a funny story with Bishop Basha, but he, he is very still a very good friend of mine, and he's he was wonderful in helping me get this letter out to the Vatican in um, 2002, which is when we first you know, started working through the Pontifical Academy for Life. And when the response came in 2005, I just thought this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, this was this was an answer to all of my prayers. You know, they were very clear um, in in what the duties were and what we had to do. And as far as, you know, fighting to get a moral alternative and also that in the meantime, they could exempt, you know, that you could. And when I can tell you what happened, this is kind of funny story that, that goes with this, how that letter actually went out initially was there was a woman in Arkansas. Her name is Shannon Law. And she had gone to her Catholic school, or her, not Catholic school, her public school. And in Arkansas, the law was written that said that your, your religion had to oppose vaccines. And oh. of course, th that's unconstitutional. You can't do that. That would only apply to Christian scientists. So you can't give favoritism to one religion over another. So what happened was um, they went, uh, Liberty Council actually took up this lawsuit for us that we, we filed. In the meantime, the, the woman, the mom, was um, her kids were expelled from school. She didn't know what to do. She went to her diocese. They didn't know what to tell her. And so she called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And, oh, and she had their phone number. <laughs> she got it, you know, and she called. And they told her they'd never heard of this and told her that, you know, she should look into it further and they would look into it further. Well, then she got our name from um, American Life League and she called me. And she told me that she had, you know, made this phone call, and would I 
help, and I did. And so I called the congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning because it was going to be 9 o'clock there. And the same priest that had spoken to her spoke to me, and I told him what was going on. I said, this isn't limited to just her. This is happening to Catholics all over the country. And he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. While we look at this, put the information together, send a copy of it to me and to Cardinal Ratzinger, because he was the head of the congregation then. We've heard of him. Yep. And then he said, in the meantime, you're to tell parents to use the church teaching on moral conscience. And if they turn away from their conscience, that would be a grave error. Now, that was great advice because we took it, and within 24 hours, I had everything I could find on the church teaching on conscience on my computer. I printed it out. I sent it to Liberty Council. And they, as attorneys, are, are just, first of all, they were the attorney that was handling this wasn't Catholic, so he didn't. You know, have a clue what a catechism even was. So he's got all this church teaching, and you know, it's going to go to court. They get to the courtroom. This is great, really. The lawyer, the lawyer for the state stands up and he says, "Your Honor, that she's not entitled to, to a religious exemption because I've got this statement from this bioethicist that says Catholics can't abstain." And the lawyer for um, Liberty Council stood up and said, "Your Honor, I don't know what he's got, but I have this thing called the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and mine's signed by Pope John Paul II." <laughs> True, true statement. Nice. It was great. Name so, dropping. <laughs> yeah, I did a little name drop. And and the um, judge took one look at the law and said, you know, this is unconstitutional, threw it out, ordered the children to be put in school immediately. So it was a great victory. But now this is complicated. Tom and I have had guests on, it's been some time uh, ago, talking about uh, obligations to vaccinate. But church teaching was a little tricky and I think often misunderstood. Uh, maybe you could paraphrase it, this, this idea that um, – we have an obligation to vaccinate from a solidarity standpoint, but we have an obligation to oppose this vaccine from a different moral standpoint. And so we were notably conflicted and supposed to be. Maybe you could say that better than I did, but I, I think that's pretty confusing. Well, it, you know, it is, but I think that the church was very in, in her wisdom. And I, and I actually had direct emails with Bishop Segretia, who was then over the um, who signed the letter? Catechism. Yep, the signed the letter. And I said, you know, this is very difficult because in, in the document that they sent was, well, on the one hand, you right. have, you know you can refuse these vaccines. On the other hand, you have a duty to protect the public, basically, you know, mm. kind of thing. And but you know, if you can use them on a temporary basis, but so they were back and forth, and it was very. We just needed something that was not quite so gray, I guess. And that's why the the uh, moral conscience teaching became paramount. I mean, you and I can sit here and I can say that my my conscience is bothered by, uh, you know, XYZ situation. You can say, oh, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay, so the, what is conscience? We look at it, we say that's the voice of, of God, that the, the aboriginal vicar of Christ is what they call conscience, where it speaks, God speaks to the soul and the heart. So not everybody's at the same place, you know, in life. Some people are fine with this. Some people have have gone to the extent of saying, well, I don't care, you know, if they use aborted fetal cells or not, I'm going to use the vaccine. Well, that's not the right answer either. So there's, you know, so there's the, a multiple things. So the bottom line from reading through this and with previous guests is it can be morally ethical to receive any of that, these vaccines, but there are caveats to that. They require a certain action on the part of the person receiving them. How, what is your understanding of what is required of somebody who does decide to receive them, Debbie? 
Um, that's that's exactly right what you just said. So the Vatican was very clear on this too, that you have a duty uh, that, you know, it goes, therefore, father, doctors and fathers of families have a duty to take recourse to, you know, the ethical vaccines. But they were, but you were to put pressure on the pharmaceutical industry and government officials to put an mm. end to this practice. You can that, do it, but you're not allowed to be happy about it. That's correct. <laughs> You've got to protest. Do it under protest, you know. Yeah. Um, and some, but with some parents, they would say, well, I can't do it even, I can't, I still can't use these vaccines. I'm so pro-life. You know, I can't, I, I can never judge anybody by what they want to do or, you know, feel in their heart they have to do. But the duty to do something about it was very, very clear. And, you know, that's something that we have been working on for, like I said, for 20 years. I, that's what we've been trying to do is do something about it. So what are some of the simplest ways that an individual can do something? Because, you know, there was this uh, HLA, Human Life Amendment, a website that has morphed into a site where when there are letters being sent, you can sign on to an email saying, you know, please do this or please don't do this. I mean, that's one of the simplest one-click ways I've found to do it. What can you recommend to listeners? Well, you know, we've told parents and, you know, that they should write. We ask them all the time, please write to the pharmaceutical industries. But, you know, parents are not anywhere near as powerful as you doctors are. You know, that's the Catholic Medical Association, the Christian Medical and Dental Association um, are, are, in, are the direct customers of the pharmaceutical companies, right? You, you're buying, the one buying the vaccines. They really don't care about the parents so much as they care about, you know, the doctors. However, if the parents are saying, well, we're not going to use those vaccines until you give us one that doesn't use aborted fetal cells, or we're going to use GlaxoSmithKline's, um, you know, moral polio because you don't have one. When, when they start, when you start hitting their bottom line, it starts to make a little more sense to them that maybe we should look at this again. We, do we really need to use aborted fetal cells? And the answer is absolutely not. There is not a single vaccine out there that couldn't be grown a different way, you know, using a different cell culture. So um, that was the biggest thing was to get parents to write. And um, that's what we continue to do right now. We want parents to write and thank um, Sanofi Pasteur for what they've done. Yes, that is great advice because so often we are in the mode of getting something changed and then when it happens, we kind of lower our guard and forget about it. But we need to say thank you. And uh, we'll ask our producer, she can post this, but uh, to, to thank Sanofi Pasteur, it's Dr. John Shiver, S-H-I-V-E-R, Global Head of R&D at Sanofi Pasteur and Sanofi, S-A-N-O-F-I, Pasteur, P-A-S-T-E-U-R, Box 187, Discovery Drive, Swiftwater, Pennsylvania, 18370. And there's a second reason to thank him related to COVID. And what is that reason, Debbie? Uh, I am, we're, we're just so happy with this one. You know, um, Sanofi and GlaxoSmithKline have actually teamed up to produce a moral COVID-19 vaccine. And this is an interesting thing that's happened. I mean, maybe another reason why we're seeing um, what they've done in discontinuing the aborted fetal Sanofi Pasteur bought a company called Protein Sciences a few years ago, back in 2017, I think it was. So Protein Sciences was a company that we loved them. When I first found out about them, you know, we wrote to them, we asked them if they would produce a moral MMR. We asked them for, you know, you're, they're using insect cells and the caterpillar cells. And, it, you know, it was a great thing. Well, lo and behold, they get bought up by Sanofi, who now has caterpillar cell technology. They own it. <laughs> Um, they own FluBlock, which is the flu vaccine that that's, um, Protein Sciences had 
made and it uses that so now they've got the technology and Glaxo and and um, and Sanofi teaming together makes perfect sense why because GlaxoSmithKline is also moving toward moral vaccines and this is something that um, I also want to mention now, if, if you've got a minute, I'm going to take off the COVID. We'll go back to that in a minute. But this was such a big deal. Back in 2018, GlaxoSmithKline was approved for their new moral shingles vaccine. I'm okay. a dermatologist, by the way. I oh, highly approve you. of it. In fact, today I'm supposed to get my second dose of it. I got my first <laughs> dose right before the pandemic. Well, I'll tell you what. A good thing. The shingle, their shingles vaccine, you, you, you should be very pleased because you know, as a dermatologist, that Zostavax was a disaster. It, did, it had a horrible um, efficiency, efficacy. Protect about half of people, 51%. Yep. yep. And, and the older you got, the worse it got. Well, so and so here comes Glaxo with this wonderful vaccine, and it was you know approved in 2018 January in 2018. We did a huge, huge push with our bishops and our um, uh, pro-life organizations and press releases promoting this and telling everyone stop buying Zostavax. We told all of our Catholic healthcare don't buy Zostavax. Well, we had bishops that actually our Florida bishops did a joint letter to GlaxoSmithKline and thanked them. Oh, great. Yeah. Yes. So we had, um, it was it was wonderful. So all through 2018, it was just great. Everyone was praising GlaxoSmithKline. And it helped because <laughs> I went back and looked. I want, I was just dying to see what kind of an impact it had. Oh, so I, looked yes. at, I looked at the sales for um, Zostavax in 2017. Merck had $422 million in sales in for Zostavax at the end of 2018. They dropped to twenty million. They lost four hundred million dollars. This is Glaxo looks at this. They're you know they're they realize what's going on. So rumor has it. I don't know if it's true or not, but rumor has it that their direction is to stop using aborted fetal cells entirely. Thanks, Tom. Put your, Tom, put your dermatology hat back on. Yes, uh, sir. Let's let's <laughs> let's remind <laughs> listeners about the shingles vaccine versus. The varicella or chickenpox vaccine. Well, it's fascinating. In, that's a great question. It's fascinating in the light of what Debbie said that they, the varicella or chickenpox vaccine, they say has to be made with aborted fetal cells. It's 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 utterly nonsense because yeah. it's the same virus that causes shingles. It's the right. chickenpox virus that's in your nerves for life once you have the disease and gets reactivated in just one side in one, you know area one stripe of your body so if they can do it for shingles they can definitely do it for chicken pox and i'd be interested to know if, if uh, GlaxoSmithKline is trying to do that but that would be a perfect follow-up yeah this the shingrix is what's called a recombinant vaccine it's just made with with uh with proteins and and dna with no living cells at all unlike uh zostavax which is a weakened live virus so shingles is a big deal. I mean, it's worth vaccinating against. Anybody that knows someone who's had bad shingles realizes that can be a debilitating complication. The pain box. can go on for life. And the most common part of the body it involves uh, is a stripe of skin that involves the eye on one side. And when you have that headache, pain for life, it, mm -hmm. it disastrously changes lives. So clinically, it's rather odd. We're talking about a vaccine to prevent the first one, chickenpox, and then a vaccine to present to prevent the complication of the first one, heretofore Zostavex, now uh, Shingrix uh, as as the option as the ethical option. But it's two separate diseases, two separate. 
vaccines. Right. And so I wonder if as the population ages and more people have gotten chickenpox vaccine, especially if they come up with a moral one, there may not be a need for a shingles vaccine. Yeah, well, fascinating. We'll, see. well, that would be that would be good, except for the chickenpox vaccine doesn't work very well. No, the, oh, it doesn't. That's why. But if they use the same technology as shingles, yes. I mean, when I got my first dose, it reacted. Now, I used to work in vaccine research in the U.S. Uh, Army. Huh. And so back in the 90s, I received anthrax, botulism, plague, hepatitis A, and you, you can go on and on. The, the Shingrix had about as strong a reaction as the anthrax and botulism, which had a reputation among the soldiers. Uh -huh. But it works incredibly well. I mean, I was happy. To, it didn't stop me from doing anything I wanted to do. But, you know, there was good redness and soreness, but nothing bad. Right. But it will be interesting to see how that plays out and to see if they go back now and, and change the production methodology. We can put that in our thank you letters. That's right. Well, we, we, we've, asked, we've asked Glaxo to do that. We've said, you know what? We do know that Merck's um, vaccines were identical. You just basically had a stronger dose for um, shingles. It's basically what they did. They had it, you know, a lot uh, more potent vaccine. So why couldn't you just take, my question is, why can't you just take the shingles vaccine, Shingrix, and weaken it to make a childhood vaccine? I'm going to research that. That's a great question. Yeah. Yep. And in a general sense, though, Debbie, why is it that some companies feel as though they need uh, to use cells from aborted babies? Why is that? You know, it's an interesting thing. And I, I can tell you that this, this when I first started this work, I thought this was just something that started in the 50s or 60s, you know, 60s, 70s, I should say, abortions. Um, and it wasn't until 2012 that I actually had someone from Spain, because we do have a huge following um, internationally as well, who, who sent me an article and said, Debbie, what was going on here? What's this abortions that were being done in, uh, in the 1920s and 30s for polio? I said, what? What are you talking about? So I went in and had to research this whole issue and found out that back in the eugenics movement, 1932, they had that eugenics law that yes. was 32 states. Yeah. Well, they were forced sterilizing and forced aborting babies and then using them for polio research. And they, uh, polio vaccine research, in one of the um, articles, they said many times the hearts were still beating at the time of receipt in the polio research labs. So there were just thousands of abortions that were involved probably, you know, when you think about it over the years, over the decades and decades. Um, but what were the, one of the things was is in, in looking at back at what their, their logic was, they thought it would be safer to use a human cell line than an animal cell line. Mm. Um, they didn't have the information they have now about DNA. They didn't know that DNA doesn't cross species. In other words, if you get a vaccine using animal cells, it's not going to insert into your genome. It can't human, but unless you force it to, you can force DNA to insert, but it, it, it won't. But human does. So actually it was more dangerous to use a human cell line, but they're just, I think, figuring this out. I don't know, but I do, it, it's a good question. The only thing I can think of is that they thought it would be safer from what I read. In now, GlaxoSmithKline and Sanofi are the number one and number three largest vaccine producers in the world. Yep. So this is a good thing on on that level now we're talking about producing covid vaccines and there are literally a couple hundred maybe worldwide doing this and the u.s government is giving preference to five of them and giving them extra money for development and sadly i discovered last night they did not choose the moral one being developed by gsk and sanofi to support do you have any idea why 
No, and, and well, I shouldn't say that. It, it could be that because the other ones are all startup using completely new technology, new, new, that they thought, well, they don't really need it because they've already got it. You know, GlaxoSmithKline, um, and I mean, Sanofi does, they already have the cell line. It's already being used and approved. So it's just a matter of, you know, what do they have to do? Cultivate the virus on the, you know. Okay. Insect cells. So with using that same technology. So I have a feeling that's probably why they did it. On your website, you have an excellent resource. I finally could find how you were tracking these different vaccine candidates and seeing if they were using any unethical procedures. So in the five vaccines that are supposedly being supported in this Project Warp Speed or Operation Warp Speed, at least three of them are unethically produced because they use what's called an adenovirus vector. Adenovirus is a, a cold-causing virus, but they can weaken it and use the adenovirus as a Trojan horse to carry uh, proteins or genetic material that are part of coronavirus without causing a coronavirus infection. Or they can use it for other conditions. But all three of these, Moderna, AstraZeneca with Oxford University, and Johnson & Johnson, otherwise Janssen is their subsidiary, all of them are using aborted baby cells. And I think the AstraZeneca product has gotten a lot of press recently yes. uh, on some mainstream media. And of course, at no point during that press did they mention these are from aborted cell lines. Oh, no, you'll never hear that from <laughs> mainstream right. media. Never. There's never. a fourth one that you have documented. And I really like the way you have links on your website of Children of God for Life, where you can find out the information that states this. I love it because I don't like seeing articles that are not referenced. Uh, you do that. An ethical one being produced is by Merck. They made an Ebola virus vaccine, and they're using the same platform, and that is an ethical one. So Merck is being made ethically. The fifth company, I could not find anything online. You didn't have it listed either. Being made by a Pfizer and a German drug maker right. uh, called, called BNT162. So those are the five. Do you have anything to say about that one? Yeah, Pfizer, this one is really bothering me a lot because I'm finding a lot of information, but I can't do a direct link to the aborted fetal just yet. They, if, if, they, if they had a patent out on it or a science document on how they did it, I would be fine. And that's what I do. If, if you look at every one of my links yes. that I have, I've got taking you to the patent or to a science document that shows the right. use of where the, how they're doing it. Um, on this one, I can't. And I've been asked. A lot of people are asking me about this Pfizer vaccine. Why isn't it on my list? Mm. I'm not going to put it there until I can prove it. Well, it's interesting. So there's really five horses in a race to see who's going to win, so to speak, and, and get to mass produce an effective COVID vaccine. That's going to be a financial windfall for someone. Um, we sure hope at, at this point anyway, we hope it's Merck. Well, exactly. And I, or, or GlaxoSmithKline and right. Sanofi combo. Because um, they don't have to be one of those five. Those are just the five right. getting extra money. Right. But if that's they right. come up with something good, they could come from outside the, the favorites. Point. Sure. Point. When I go through this list, um, and you'll see on our website, we have a lot more that are being produced Yes, morally. you do. Yeah, they're, they're good. And, and I, I look at the ones that are you know, out there. This is, this, these lists are going to go you know, substantially shrink by the time we actually get a vaccine to market. Um, and of course, now they're saying they don't even know if we're going to need a vaccine. COVID's going to go away. And I don't know about that, but you know, they, nobody knows. No, they don't. So we just wait and see. <laughs> 
So there are other ethical ways, other ethical cells to grow these viruses or other needs for the vaccines. What are some of those ethical platforms that can be used? You've named the insects, you've named the Vero monkey kidney cells, but what are some newer ones being looked at? Well, I think, you know, some is the, like the recombinant DNA that they're doing, um, Merck did with their, um, the, the, they're the most recently approved uh, vaccine for the um, Ebola virus. You know, right. that, that vaccine is completely different technology than anything else they've ever done. So I think you're going to see more of a move toward that. Um, and and also, I, how about adult stem cells? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can use adult stem cells. In fact, one of the companies, um, AVM Biotech, um, they use a moral cell line and they're you know they're doing great work actually they're a catholic pro-life work you know we have a pro-life biotech company it's wonderful Yay. um there's also other things they think may work like this one vaccine it's called bcg it's a vaccine that was for um tuberculosis yeah exactly and now they're thinking that would work as well because of the lung problem that you get with ah you know so that's a possibility. And, you know, we've got so many good things that are happening. I'd be, I'd be wrong if I didn't mention some of the players here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thrilled with what we have done. We talked about that letter that went out in July, you know, of last year. But what happened this year in um, – uh, we there was another letter that was sent from um, the U.S. Conference of Bishops' Office. It was sent in April. And to the FDA, again, co-signed by Archbishop Nauman, um, our organization, several pro-life CMA signed on to that as well, asking them to ensure that we got a moral COVID vaccine, okay? And at the same time that they were doing this, um, another good bishop out in Tyler, Texas, you may have heard of him, he's absolutely awesome, Bishop Joseph Strickland. Yes. Um, and he said, you know, he came out with a very bold statement that I'd rather die than get a vaccine uh, COVID vaccine using aborted fetal cells. That's bold. It's very bold. <laughs> and so, you know, he, his whole thing is, look, we don't have to do this. Let's put the pressure on. So he has actually written statements and encourages mm-hmm. his diocese, uh, everyone in his diocese to write and to, you know, request this, the moral vaccines. And I'm just so thrilled with him and his, his, his um, associate, Dr. Uh, Dr. St- Stacy Trisenkos. I've known her for years before she moved out to Texas. Just happens she's out there now. And she's at the St. Philip Institute. And they're doing this such wonderful work to try to promote, you know, the moral ethics, moral uh, alternatives and, and to get the te- Texas Catholic Conference going on it, because that would be huge, you know, to get the whole conference involved. Another company that's working on uh, a cell line made specifically for making vaccines is the John Paul II Medical Research Institute yep. out in Iowa. So I want to let people know about their good work. And I know, right. you know with Chris and ob there's a lot of tissue discarded after births. You know, umbilical cord, umbilical cord blood, placenta, and even some of those are being used as potential growth media for vaccines. It, it, yeah, and they're absolutely. used. They're used in other medical products, too. I've had pe- yes. people come to me and say, what is the the cell line that they're using here and you go in and you look at it going oh my goodness it's from placenta this is a wonderful thing mm. so you know I, I don't keep track of all of those uh, if i did i would have you know volumes <laughs> I, be able to, I need three or four computers because we really do have a lot of good products that are that are being done that way but we've had we've had numerous guests point out uh, through our years that adult or human stem cell research uh, is actually helping people uh, as opposed to embryonic stem cell 
very experimental, very really in, in any other discussion, we would be calling it fringe. Um, if anyone's ever heard of someone getting a bone marrow transplant for breast cancer or other cancers, that is adult stem cell work that, that saves lives. Uh, and your example of placental and an umbilical cord uh, and fetal blood, we don't need to destroy embryos to conquer great things, uh, great enemies, so to speak. But yeah, that's, right. that's, the, that's the, the story that's pushed so often. Well, that's right. And that's, see, that's how my work began was explaining to people the differences between adult and embryonic stem cells. So it was mm. wonderful because here we had all these great things we were doing with adult stem cells. Why would you want to use embryonic when they're causing exactly. you know, tumors and all kinds of things were happening with them? Debbie, give our listeners your website. Uh, it is Children of God for Life. is www.cogforlife.org. So it's cogforlife.org. Yeah, I expect to see something about uh, engines when I saw the website at first with the cog on there. But oh. <laughs> well, that's because now you know how that came about. Really, the cog, um, the the word cog came out before Children of God when I was coming up with the name for our company, and it was because we I was basically looking at a cog as a part of a, the machinery. Yes, and all I was was going to be a little cog ah. in the pro-life work. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. It. I like that. We should all be so fortunate to be a little cog in the pro-life work. That's right. All those little cogs work together. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Debbie, what final comments would you like to leave with our listeners? Um, I just want to thank everybody out there that has done what they can take some pride. All these people that have written to the pharmaceutical companies have stood up and said no more. They can take pride in the good things that we're seeing happening right now. And I just want to thank everyone for doing it and to continue doing it, to stay strong, um, you know, we can make a difference. People think, well, what can I do against farmers? Like I said, Lord, that's too big for me, right? It's not. It's never too big. Put your faith and trust in God and just do it. You know, it's been said that no matter how dark the dark gets, the light will always penetrate it and uh, it will always win. It may take a while, but it will always win. So thank you for your great godly work. Oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to do it. I really am. Uh, Listeners, thanks for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. And please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen to it on their favorite podcast app, or they can always find it at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and we'll be signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA. 
or visit AveMariaFunds.com.